Cafe. Hello. Hey. Uh, Mr. Bill, he says he's, uh, <laughs> he's going to Africa, he yeah. says. Yeah, let's just admit we're not going to see him again. No. Let's just face uh, that. Yeah. I think that's true. Maybe, you know, I, I can see him doing tour guides for safaris or something. Yeah. You know, I can see him just hanging out. He is. They're going to take him into, like, the Serengeti for a oh, day Well, he's there. If we know Bill, then he's going to be telling them about what's going on. Turn here. There's a... <laughs> 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 Wait, did That's you right. guys notice Stop right three <laughs> times on our uh, way home from our retreat day, yeah. he told me uh, yeah, where I should where, turn. Where you yeah. should turn. In a world that yeah. I'm familiar uh, with. Yeah, yeah. In, in your world. It's yeah. not like I'm visiting his town. And you. <laughs> and speaking of compliance... Yeah. Oh, you, did, you did exactly what he said. Bill is not a backseat uh, driver. He's no, a take no. the wheel yeah, from you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, yeah. he, and the sadness was he was in the front seat. Uh, yeah. that was oh, I, I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John, you're not going to turn into oncoming traffic, are you? Yeah. <laughs> no, wasn't wasn't thinking about it. But now that you mention it, <laughs> no, I can't think of anything but that. Well, it's like when we go over those bridges, and you feel like, well, I better just turn the wheel because I'm going <laughs> off anyway. I know. I, I'm going to get over that. You're I, I know. This one I grow up. Okay, page forty-seven, nineteen seventy-two. This is. Uh, David, do you want to sit in for this story? This is an adult story here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, boy, buddy. This I is was the... not an adult at this uh, time in history. No, was... no, you weren't. No, were you born even? No. No, seventy. Close. No, you weren't not even close. close. You were born in, you're an 80s kid, right? Yes, I am. I yeah. was barely an adult. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although he talked to you like an yeah, adult. Absolutely. Okay. He talked to me like a longshoreman. <laughs> yeah. All right, 1972. It was always about playing hard and coming home tired with enough memories of glory to sustain our dreams. It was always about laughing hard and having a great adventure. When we were done with the day, we'd lie on our backs in cool grass with our arms folded behind our heads, staring at clouds and retelling to each other a version of a game much better than what actually happened. In my neighborhood... Nobody talked about discipline or taking it seriously, but we played harder and enjoyed it more and had each other's back better than any organized team we will ever play on after it. That's why it hurt so badly to get trashed by a coach for enjoying it so much when I got to college. I had scholarships to other schools after high school, but... Uh, Arlene Ellis chose Arizona State University, so without a scholarship and way over my head, I continued my boyhood dreams at ASU under coach Bobby Winkles. He was, a, he, he was the man, a legendary backwoods, tobacco-spitting old-school coach who had turned Arizona State from nearly intramural baseball to a program yearly competing for a NCAA national championship. He liked me. He appreciated my passion and love for the game. He started me in center field one practice game. He rarely put pitchers in other positions, but I hit the first pitch from Dale Rovat over the center field fence at Goodwin Stadium. Next inning, I misplayed a fly ball, and I was back to pitching. But still, I don't think I ever enjoyed playing for a coach as much. But in those days... The freshmen were coached primarily by the assistant coach, and he enjoyed me not so much at all. I was surrounded by nationally recruited blue-chip flame-throwing sensations, most who would go on into long major league careers, and I was now a junk-throwing local kid with a damaged shoulder and a memory of a fastball. 
I shouldn't have tried to hang on, but I just wasn't ready to leave the game. I'd I'd thrown some surprisingly good winter ball stints in uh, in relief, and I thought maybe I'd make it back and I'd get drafted in the late rounds. But mostly baseball was just still fun to me, warming up. Oh, it's nearly every baseball player's favorite part of the sports. The, the, the 15 minutes before drills, batting practice, fielding, and inter-squad games. It was our refuge from schoolwork, from responsibility, from the looming seriousness of life. Each of us had warmed up thousands of times in ball fields all over the country. We knew that ball-hitting glove sound like our own voices. It was therapy and a theme park all at once. This is where the best humor came out. We'd mock each other. We'd work on our invented knuckleballs. All college players think they, they can throw a knuckleball. We'd turn our gloves inside out. We chewed tobacco and sang jingles from commercials. We'd talk trash about each other's girlfriends. And in a raw and clumsy way, we learned to have each other's back. We knew when to get serious. All of us did. But as time-honored as any unwritten baseball rule, screwing around while getting loose has always been near the top. At least I thought so. In one of our routine team meetings, sitting on the grass in the outfield, the assistant coach wanted to talk about quote-unquote discipline and taking things seriously. He chose me as the scapegoat to make his point. He tore me apart in front of my friends and fellow ballplayers. Lynch, you think you're so damned funny. You think everything's a joke. You, you, you know how to get others to screw around until my good players forget why we brought them here. Lynch, you are like a cancer to a team. Did you hear that? Did you all of you hear that? Players like Lynch are a cancer. They poison the water and others don't even notice it. Well, that's not the way we won a national championship when I played first base here, and it's not the way we're going to play ball now, damn it. So Lynch, you decide who, what you are. Are you a ball player or a comedian? All right, everyone, get to work. It's a uniquely horrible feeling to be shamed as an athlete. Something in your masculinity and your very person gets diminished. The respect and hard-earned trust between ball players is experienced at every level. We were used to getting called out for not running hard on an infield pop-up, but none of us were prepared to have our personhood attacked. This coach knew exactly what he was doing. He was ostracizing me from the rest of the team. Hanging out with me would risk becoming the coach's next target. That was the last day I would enjoy playing baseball. I would leave the game forever three weeks later. And I imagine Jesus saying this to me. John, I formed you to encourage community to affirm and bless and enjoy and bring out the best in others. When you run up against an insecure person who can coach only by threatening and belittling, your motive will always be misunderstood and you will get hurt. This moment will help develop a conviction you will teach for the rest of your life. People work best and hardest in a place where they know they are valued. Now I'm going to surround you with some strong friends who will protect you as you model and teach this way of life. None of this is going to help you at all for about 20 years. What happened today will wound you. You will have no one to protect you. Until this moment, you have respected and and obeyed even bad authority. But this, this will change you. It will give you increasing permission to mistrust all authority. You are about to enter a brutally hard time of your life. I'm here. 
One day you'll understand I suffered under insecure authority which ultimately tried to destroy one who would threaten it with good. So you're in good company today. You just don't know it yet. By the way, that coach, he knows he's wrong. He will go home after today's practice and sit in front of a television set and know he's wrong. You'll be teaching this way of life to his sons and daughters someday. Hold on, kid. And the awakening that we write at the end. In an environment of law, every motive is suspect. But in an environment of grace, good motive is presumed. Hmm. Great story. <clears throat> Tough story. Yeah. Yeah. I see it like yesterday. Yeah. 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 So this awakening in an environment of law, every motive is suspect. In an environment of grace, good motive is presumed. We don't live in a perfect environment of grace. Right. So, um, I suspect that this wonderful uh, awakening has a couple of sides to it. One is, uh, it's possible that I don't have a good motive, but you presumed a good motive. So how would you help me to, to grow into good motive? And then I suspect that I might have a good motive, but just because we're in an imperfect environment, you might presume I don't have a good motive. Yeah. Right? A couple of things there. Yeah. What do you, how, how do you nurture yeah, people into? Yeah. Well, well, I always say about my real good friends, they always give me the benefit of the doubt with my humor and then think about it later. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it's like, I, I know John. I know his heart. He doesn't want to. Oh, that, that joke didn't turn out the way he wanted it. That probably, but that's not his intent. The people who know me and love me give me that benefit of the doubt. And yeah. then when it's revealed, hey, that was inappropriate, then they get to tell me. Yeah. But but they go in ready to laugh. It, it's, it's like the old days of Bob Hope. He wasn't that funny, but after a while he had a reputation of being funny, and everybody laughed at everything, even the mildly funny ones. And I think that's the way it is with motive. I presume that you have a good motive even though you may be articulating it or living it out inappropriately. And I'll get a chance to tell you that, but I don't go in, you know, we say it all the time, with, my, with your sin in between us. I, I, my goal is that I want to presume that you're for me, that, mm-hmm. that we're for you. And when that gets revealed to be not true, we have to address it. It's not that we live in a panacea or a fake pretend reality. But I want to believe you're for me. I, I want to live in an environment. I want to keep fighting for that reality that you would be for me and that I would be for you. And so that coach presumed a motive that was so wrong, that, that was right. not there. Right. It just was not there. And because he didn't know me <clears throat> and he didn't love me. Uh, and, and so um, that's that's the difference. It's not like I'm just pretending like everybody's motives are good. They're not. Right. You know, mine aren't. Right. Yeah. right. But we presume on that because it goes back to a biblical and a theological understanding that uh, when we trust Jesus, we have been given a new heart. And therefore, That's right. That's we, right. uh, the heart is no longer deceitful, flesh is, but our new identity 
does not it, want it to deceive. Does not want to deceive yeah. and does not want to shame like this. That's right. Uh, and yet, at, even at the end of the story, you say that the coach, Jesus is talking to you, and he's saying that the coach goes home and understands that he he was wrong and what he did. Were you thinking there that um, this is God's common grace, that he has been made yes. in the image of well, God? Well, and, it, it, and the truth is, the guy's seen me every practice. He knows yeah. that I'm for yeah. the program. He knows that I'm for those players. He's seen it's just that it's not the way he was used to doing it. Yeah. He didn't. He, he he was a button-down guy. It's like, I don't get it. I don't understand it, so I don't like it. Yeah. And uh, and and he knew that I wasn't what he is, had accused me of. That's good. It's very helpful. And I think it's very helpful to <clears throat> the development of our faith communities, of our businesses, yeah. of our families. That's right. That we learn to nurture an environment of grace that that presumes that this identity that we have been given at great cost by Jesus is actually something we're maturing into and that the more that we draw on that and nurture that, the, the more it will be true, the more it will happen. Not that my identity will change, but I will mature into it. It, it is very costly, as we're saying, to form this kind of community. Yes. Where it takes time and it takes, it takes lots of conversations mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. To, to run that down. And this is where you hope every child um, gets an opportunity to be given this grace, which is free to receive, but very, as you say, costly to give as a parent or a leader or a pastor. Well said. Well, next week, Bo's Cafe uh, will return. And, John, I've been thinking as you've been reading this story, maybe we should take a one-week break and have you tell a story about your 61st birthday. Well, What do you think? This story kind of reminded me of yes. how, how does a, yes. a John Lynch, yes. all these years later, yes. That'd be uh, great. learn to live? That'd be great. Ah, so, um, now, I'm going to be gone, I think, <clears throat> next week, aren't I? You're going to be doing a podcast in Iowa. In Iowa. So. <laughs> and so we'll talk to you from Iowa. Would you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. Or, or you tell the story. I'll tell the story. <laughs> yeah, we, definitely. You probably won't recognize yeah, it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll tell the story. And I'm sure David, David could. David, uh, could you just... Add could, pelicans or something you to You get John's voice, and, yeah. and we can yeah. do that. Whatever. Excellent. Yeah. You could no more do my voice. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> not no, that. Okay. Not no. going to try that. I do a lot of voices, but that but one. Not that one, no. <laughs> no. We'll see you next week. Have a great week. week. Bye-bye.